So it's Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Great. Just a few verses, um, but I, I think they, they are pretty, pretty packed with um, challenge for us. So uh, that's, why we're, that's why we're just taking them as a separate sermon. Next week is going to be the final message in our little series through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's my friend Phil who's going to come and preach uh, to, to close things out. Um, Phil's from Bangor, so not far away. Great. Um, if, if, I don't know if you're familiar at all, particularly if, you, if you've, you're first time with us for a while. Um, we're, we're sort of closing out this, this section uh, of, of Matthew's Gospel. And it's called, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because at the start, Jesus says, ascends. Uh, the, 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 the hill, the mountain, and then he comes down towards the end. So there's the whole body of teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really just sort of three chapters long, but, but within it, he, he, he's casting this vision. He's giving this, this uh, um, I suppose, this, this vision of life together, um, uh, vision of the kingdom of God and, and, and who gets in and, and what those people are like and, and, and what our life together should look like uh, because of uh, what God is doing among us as, as, as the kingdom comes and as we enter it. And, and so Jesus has been doing all of that and, and, and sort of giving this blueprint, I suppose. But, but as we started to see last week, um, we're starting to wrap it up. And like, like a good preacher, uh, Jesus is, 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 is um, he's sort of finished the body of material and he's bringing his hearers to a position where they have to respond. They have to make a decision. And so towards the end of the sermon, as it's called, it points us, Jesus points us really to the day, the end, not just of the sermon, but the end of the age. And so what we're seeing here today in these verses, and I think it really underpins the whole conclusion that Jesus gives us, is the big picture that with all the teaching said and done and all the life being lived, we are sort of rapidly, I suppose, hurtling towards the last day, uh, the day of reckoning. Uh, this, by the way, is, is a, a, a picture that the Bible gives us. Uh, the, the one day uh, uh, we will come and stand before Jesus and give account for the way that we've lived our lives and the things that we've said and done and all the rest of it. Uh, Jesus, you know, the story is, as the Bible teaches us, that Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh. You know, he became incarnate. Uh, when he you know, took upon himself human nature, he was born as a baby, he lived his life, he died a death on the cross, he rose on the third day, and then he ascended to the Father. And as we were just saying in the Apostles' Creed, and actually in one of the songs as well that we sang, uh, Jesus is coming again. We believe as, 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 as historic Christians that Jesus is coming again, and it says in the, in the, in the Creed, to judge the living and the dead. And so that's the sort of image that we're getting here, this sort of great division, I suppose, where people are gathering uh, before Jesus and they are all given a sort of final declaration, a public uh, pronouncement, you know, who's with Jesus and who's against him. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. And we, and, and, um, uh, we saw a bit of this 
last week with, with Matt, who was, was, was preaching, uh, and we saw, didn't we, uh, two, two ways uh, to, to go, two, two paths we can travel, two gates that we can enter, the narrow one and the broad one. Do you remember that? And then two destinations, with God in his kingdom and towards destruction. And it's really just as simple as that. It's two, two ways. And, and as, as we were starting to think last week, how we respond to Jesus and his teaching and, and his, his actions on our behalf determines which of those gates, paths and destinations that we, that we meet. And so here today in these verses, uh, Jesus is pointing us forward to, to that day. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. He casts what we do now and what we say and believe in light of that day. Okay, so so picture of of people uh, appearing before Jesus, awaiting his verdict, and as we'll see in a few moments' time, that there is there is to be a massive shock in some uh, circumstances, uh, a, a massive surprise in store, because Jesus is separating without a shadow of doubt the true and the false disciples, and and uh, there, there may be some surprises as that happens. So so really, um, we want to know, don't we? How how, how can this be? How, how can this be the case? So, so uh, as we go through these verses, I, I think they, they'll, they'll teach us two things about this issue of false and true disciples of Jesus. All right? uh, the first thing it teaches us is that false disciples know about Jesus, but true disciples know Jesus. Okay, That's the first point. Uh, the second thing it teaches us is that false disciples live for themselves, true disciples live for Jesus. Okay? So firstly, false disciples know about Jesus, true disciples know Jesus. Uh, In verse 21, Jesus says, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There you have it. Um, Let's just inspect those words quickly so we understand what's what's being said here. Uh, uh, Lord... Uh, the, the term Lord is, 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 a, is a term of respect, it's a term of honour, it would be equivalent to us saying sir. Um, later on, the early church uh, began to equate that title of Lord um, with something even more special than that, the divine title, God. Um, the God of the Old Testament and, and Lord Jesus are one and the same. And so, so uh, in, in, this, in this title, we have somebody who speaks to Jesus with respect and honor, like sir, you know, master, I suppose. Uh, perhaps someone who sees Jesus as Lord, as, as God. So the orthodox, you know, the sort of uh, uh, historic uh, Christian belief, uh, Jesus is God. They've got the right theology. But do you notice they say it twice, Lord, Lord. One would have been enough, but, but the fact they come and say it twice, they're, they're enthusiastic, they're passionate, you know, they're, they're sincere about coming to Jesus. And Jesus is saying in these verses here, some will say these things to me and still not enter my kingdom. It, it is pos- in other words, it is possible to come to Jesus with respect, with orthodox beliefs, orthodox theology, and be enthusiastic about those things and still not enter the kingdom of God. That's, that's what he's saying here in verse 21. Um, why, why, why is that? Why, why, why should it be that there will be some people who may say these things and still not, not come into the kingdom of God? Uh, the first thing we have to say, I think, is that, that it is not a bad thing uh, to say these things about Jesus. Or to, he says not everyone who says... Uh, these things will enter the kingdom of God. It means that some do say these things and will, of course, enter the kingdom of God. It is right that we approach Jesus with respect, yes, an honour. It is right that we, 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 we say, Jesus, you are Lord and you are God. 
That's the teaching of, of the Bible. Yes, it is right that we are sincere and, and, and passionate. Yes, all these things. It is good. But as we're seeing here, in what Jesus is teaching is it's possible to say these things and still not be a true disciple of Jesus. Um, I suppose maybe more in our context as 21st century church, we could say it's possible to listen to a lifelong of Christian teaching and still not be a true disciple of Jesus. Um, it, it, it's possible to, to learn Christian doctrine, Christian theology, and still not be a follower of Jesus. It's, it's possible to um, even understand and repeat and even discuss intellectually Christian teaching and still not be a true disciple of Jesus. Uh, and these things can, can just buzz around in our heads but make no difference in the deepest parts of us, which is the heart, right? It's the, it's the center of who we are. It drives everything else. We can, we can stick with head knowledge, but it doesn't produce heart knowledge. We know about Jesus. We can know facts and teachings and statements, but we don't actually know Jesus. And the difference is crucial. It's, it's an old illustration that gets used time and again to demonstrate that by every, every preacher that I've ever listened to. But, but the, the idea is that you can know facts about someone who you know, is very, uh, very, without actually knowing that person. So, for example, you know, if you're married, your spouse or a good friend or even uh, you know, a parent or something like that, you can, you can know facts about them. I know Marion's got brown hair and I know her shoe size and I know how tall she is and I know where she uh, was from. Um, but, the, but the thing is that the Facebook algorithm also knows those things. And that doesn't mean to say that me and Facebook have the same relationship with Marion. I know her because uh, we're married and various other things. The, my point is there is a difference, isn't there, between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them uh, heart to heart. And I, th I, th I, think, I, think, I, I do think this is a danger for all types of people, irrespective of your background, but particularly if you, like, like me, have grown up in the church, or if, if you've been exposed to the church in the past, you've been ch churched, as we say, um, you, you're, you are at risk of this, uh, even more so. Because you, you, at some point in your life, have been exposed to the good stuff, right? Um, whether it's attending Sunday school as a child, and you learned the Bible verses, and you learned the songs, um, Maybe you have been more exposed to a liturgical type church, maybe even a Catholic church growing up, and you've been used to the prayer books, and you've done what we've just done, recited the creeds. Maybe that's what you've grown up with. Um, if you're from a, maybe a Reformed church background, you may have learned the catechism as, as a kid. If you're from a charismatic church background, you've learned all the worship songs. All these things, by the way, are good, right? They're, 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 they're all good. They're all gifts from God to, to teach us and equip us and grow our faith. Amen. But alone, they can just leave us with head knowledge and not heart knowledge. It, do you see what I mean? We can, we can, these things can stay up here and not drop down into our hearts. So what do we do um, if we're sitting here looking at these verses together and we're thinking to ourselves, wow, I, I hope that's not me. Right? I, I want to make sure that when I get to the last day and stand before Jesus, I'm not going to get a, a, a terrible, tragic surprise. I don't want him to say to me, uh, well, for me to say, Lord, Lord, and he says back to me, I never knew you. So how do we make sure there's not just head knowledge that we're accumulating? Well, 
is it a case of learning more? Um, you know, you might say to yourself, well, I know a few bits about Jesus, uh, but, but I really need to apply myself to learning more about him. I need to do more reading. I need to get on and l- watch more YouTubes. I need to listen to more sermons. You know, maybe I need to take a few courses. Is, is it a case of learning more? Just waiting for that breakthrough. Jesus will be discovered through my new learnings. And the answer is, no, they're, they're, again, they're all good things. Reading, writing, listening, learning, that's all good. But as the Apostle Paul teaches, knowledge can puff us up. It, it, can, it can just cause us to be full of pride and arrogance, and we just know stuff. So no, it's not a case of just simply learning more. Is it a case, therefore, of learning less? Sort of like ab- abandoning knowledge and abandoning learning and reading and all the rest of it, and just pursuing Heart, heart stuff, you know, uh, feeling Jesus more, p- pursuing the emotional experience, just abandoning uh, a pursuit of knowledge and instead a pursuit of, of, of emotion. And again, just to be clear, emotion is a good thing, right? right? We, we were created as people, not just with a brain on a stick, but, but with emotion, with feeling. We, 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 feelings primarily were, were, were given to us so that we might know and sense and enjoy God. In a, in a profound, non-cerebral you know, way. But again, we're just going to say emotion itself is not enough. We can't just base uh, our relationship with God on a gut feeling that we have. So it's not a case of learning more. It's not a case of learning less. How do we make sure we're not people who just know about Jesus and rather know Jesus truly? Well, in John chapter 3, uh, there's a brilliant interaction between Jesus and this religious expert. And this religious expert was named Nicodemus. And he was an individual who knew all about Jesus. He knew about him, and yet he learned the secret of knowing Jesus. Um, he was a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures, right? He had the facts. He knew all about the Messiah. Um, and he said to Jesus in, in, in John 3, verse 2, he said, Rabbi, term of respect, We know you are a teacher, it's the same thing again, says it twice, from God. We know these things are true about you. He he comes with an orthodox understanding. He comes with respect. He he says it twice, you know, in some ways he's sincere. And Jesus says to him in verse 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Or later in verse 5, he says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you want to know me, not just know about me, if you want to relate to me, if you want to really enter my kingdom, there's something that needs to happen to you. It's not just a case of learning more or learning less. It's about this thing that Jesus describes here as the new birth. You have to be born of water, which is natural birth, but also born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth. You need to be born again. These are the words that come from John chapter 3. Jesus says, unless you have that, you cannot be a true disciple. So it's not a case of, as I said, learning more, learning less, feeling more or feeling less. You need to be born again, says Jesus. There is some profound change that needs to happen to you, which happens upon you. It's not something you can do to yourself. This is the Christian understanding of what we call conversion. All right? This is what makes you a true disciple. Jesus said it's not primarily a decision that you make to be born again. Just like you and I didn't decide to be born, it is something the Holy Spirit does to you to make you alive, to take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's what he does. 
And so the Holy Spirit, in his ordinary workings, takes the knowledge that you may or may not have about Jesus and the gospel, the message of what Jesus has said and done. He takes this stuff and he uses it to make a profound change within your life. Okay, It's almost as if this knowledge catches fire. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Um, kind of like you know, wood, I suppose. The Holy Spirit is, the, is well... In some ways, it's like a spark, it's a fire. He, he, he comes and brings light. He comes and brings uh, uh, energy, igniting what you know. You can gather, in other words, you can gather as much wood as you like, as much knowledge as you wish, but without the fire of the Holy Spirit, that remains dead wood. It's not going to go anywhere or do anything. You're just accumulating knowledge. The Holy Spirit comes to bring the new life. If we understand this, um, this will help us in two ways. It will help us when we look at ourselves. How do you know about, sorry, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? When you look at yourself and you think about your understanding, is Jesus to you, is he a distant figure that, that you know some facts about and maybe aware of some teachings? Or when you look at Jesus, does, is he to you a friend? Is he to you your Lord? Is he the master of your life? Is he the one who has authority over you and dictates to you how you should live your life because of who he is? Or is he somebody that you keep at arm's length because you prefer living as you wish? When you look at Jesus, is he the one who gave his life? Or is he the one who gave his life for me? The difference is crucial. Right? Has the wood of your knowledge caught fire in your heart? And I would say this next bit tentatively because I know we're all different, different experiences, different makeup and all the rest of it. But let me ask you this. Has what you know about Jesus produced some kind of emotional reaction in you at some point? Something that's more than just an agreement in your mind. When you hear the gospel, has your heart started to beat faster? Have your ears, sorry, your eyes started to fill with tears? Has, has Jesus and the things that he has done for you brought you to your knees and surrender? Has it put you on your toes in praise? Do you know about Jesus or do you know him? That helps you when you look at yourself. Secondly, I think it helps us when we look at other people, okay? Particularly other people in a church context. Background here, you can go back a few sermons. Jesus taught against judgmentalism, okay? So we're not talking here about being nitpicky and judgmental about, that, that's bad, right? But he did teach us about making wise decisions, about, about being discerning when we are looking, I suppose, at other people. Um, but Jesus here is saying, as we've been saying, not everyone who says the right things is a true disciple, right? They might be a true disciple, but they might not be. And so, so Jesus' point here um, is that we have to be discerning. Not, by the way, we're not to grow and be really like skeptical and, and superstitious, sorry, and suspicious about everybody, but we're not to grow in naivety and gullibility either, all right? Just because someone says something uh, doesn't mean necessarily we need to take all that at face value. Just because someone knows their stuff, even if they know more stuff than you know or I know, which isn't hard, doesn't mean that they are a true disciple of Jesus. They may have just spent a lot of time watching videos on YouTube and they're just reciting that stuff. 
Even uh, some of the greatest minds in some of our theological institutions and, and uh, universities across particularly in the West um, are frequented by such people who have brilliant minds, but yet they have no real knowledge of Jesus as he describes here. And so Jesus here, and perhaps your own experience, teaches us to be cautious. Not judgmental, not loveless when we're looking at other people, but just aware that things may not always be as they seem. We, we are sincere, yes. We are gracious, yes. But we adopt a healthy awareness of Jesus' warnings here. We must do. So false disciples know about Jesus. True disciples know Jesus. Is that ringing any bells? Second thing then these, these verses teach us. False disciples live for themselves. True disciples live for God. This is, this is even more astonishing, in my view, when I read these verses through. Yes, we, we've been understanding about saying the right things, and not everybody who says the right things um, says the right thing is, is, is a disciple of Jesus. But here we're talking about doing amazing things as well. I mean, verse 22. On that day, Jesus goes on, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? This is amazing stuff. These are incredible things. Did we not prophesy in your name? Prophecy in general is about revealing the mind and heart of God, often in immediate and relevant ways. And so it's likely here that Jesus is, uh, you know, sort of a catch-all term, really, but was talking about those who are spiritually gifted and able to know the heart and mind of God, They're able to foretell the future, able to make predictions that come true, able to reveal hidden thoughts of hearts and minds. It's amazing. It's a supernatural ability. It goes on. Some will, will cast out demons in my name. Is that greater than being a prophet and prophesying? I don't know, but it's pretty amazing. You know, people who are oppressed by demons or influenced by evil spirits in some ways can be freed, can be released by these gifted people. It's amazing. And even those who do many mighty works in my name, we're not told exactly what they are. It probably refers to everything else. Um, what could it be that Jesus is referring to here? We don't know. Maybe he's talking uh, about healing the sick and cleansing the lepers and even raising the dead. It's what Jesus says to the 12 apostles when he sends them out on mission, and he says it later to the 72 disciples when he sends them out on mission. Go and do these things. We see it in the early church continuing. Go and do these things. Do them in my name. And so off they go. And so we've got people coming along here saying to Jesus, well, I've done prophecy, and I've done casting out demons, and I've done many mighty works, and we'll think, well, goodness me, these are amazing, powerful, spiritual things. They must be the real deal. I could never do this. But as Jesus is saying here again, just so shockingly, he'll say to them, some of them anyway, get away from me. I, I never knew you. How can it be true? How can it be so that somebody, people, can be so powerful, or maybe we maybe use the term anointed, and yet still be a false disciple? How does that work? Is this a thing? Is this something that, that we see elsewhere in Scripture? Well, the answer is yes. Um, in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, 
Um, we see this on multiple occasions, particularly you know, false prophets or those who prophesy and yet not be believers in God. For example, in Numbers, Numbers 22, and following, we've got a, a, a Balaam, he's called, or Balaam, um, is a, a pagan prophet. He's able to prophesy. He's, a, he's hired by an enemy king, an enemy of Israel, to prophesy against Israel and curse them. Or you've got King Saul in 1 Samuel 19. He rebelled against God. God overcame him in power. Uh, Saul started to prophesy. He stripped off naked. He laid on the ground before Samuel. For him, prophecy was a sort of humiliation and was a judgment to show who's boss, that God is God and that Saul is not. But he had rebelled against God, and yet there he was prophesying. In Acts 13, in the New Testament, we've got Elimus, who was known as a Jewish false prophet, who was someone who, who obstructed the gospel and got in the way and just made a, made a, made a mockery of, 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 of the name of Jesus. All of these examples show us that it is possible to possess spiritual power and yet not be a disciple of Jesus. Jewish exorcists, you know, casting out demons in Acts 19, magicians, fortune tellers, those who communicate with the dead. These are all listed in Scripture. The point that I'm trying to make here is that it is possible to do many mighty works, as Jesus talks about. Remarkable showings of spiritual power, and yet not be a true disciple. It's amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. We might think to ourselves, okay, I can understand why people could learn facts and sort of like regurgitate them and not be a true disciple. I understand that. But this, doing these, these, these prophecies and these mighty works, I mean, not anyone can just do them. I, I, you know, I, I can do these things. But Jesus is saying you can still do those things and not be a true disciple. So how might we respond to this then? How do, how do we assess, I suppose, or how do we, um, yeah, how do we assess those who we may or hear about or come across or meet who seem to have spiritual abilities that do those things in the name of Jesus? Can, can we trust them? How, 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 do we, how do we approach this situation? Um, let me give you two, two <laughs> things that we can't do. Number one, we can't simply dismiss it all. And number two, we can't simply accept it all. And so the truth probably lies somewhere in between the two. First of all, we can't simply dismiss it all. We say here at Foundation Church, we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. That means we're a church that believes that the gifts of the spirit as displayed and taught in the New Testament are for us today. Right? We believe that when Paul, the apostle, writes, you should eagerly desire those gifts, that he means that for us too. We should eagerly desire them. We believe that gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, wonderful gifts of prophecy and, and works of power are part of the function of a healthy local church. They're, they're given to build us up, to strengthen us, to, to glorify Jesus and to influence the world. So amen to all that. That's what we believe. But we can't obviously read these verses and say, well, look, this is all false, you know. The, 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 anyone who does such things is, 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 is not a true disciple. We can't do that. We can't simply dismiss it all. That would be easy, wouldn't it, to be able to do that? It would be super easy. But Jesus does not do this. 
As we were thinking a few moments ago, he instructs his apostles and later his disciples, go in my name, preach about me and do signs and wonders to show the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus instructs them to do. He could have said in this passage, look, it's all false. So anytime someone tries to do a prophecy, just tell them it's rubbish, it's not in the Bible. But he doesn't, does he? The apostle Paul is similar. He doesn't dismiss the gifts and dismiss the prophecies. He says, test them. Make sure they really are of God. Don't quench the spirit. He says, eagerly desire these gifts. So we can't just simply dismiss them all. But secondly, we can't accept them all at face value either. Jesus is saying here, not everyone who does these things belongs to me. They're not living for me. He said there are some people who are simply living for themselves. They're doing miracles, they're prophesying, they're casting out demons, but they are serving some other purpose. They're not doing it for me. They're shining light elsewhere. They should be shining light on me. They're not. They're shining light elsewhere. Jesus uses even harsher language than I am. He says in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So these are people, right, who, who it's not just occasional sins or mistakes that we're talking about here. These are people, according to Jesus, who are actively practicing lawlessness. They're living lawlessness. They're doing remarkable spiritual things, using the right words, doing it in Jesus' name, but are actively disobeying God. They're working against him. It's amazing. They're not living the law that Jesus has been laying out and applying in the Sermon on the Mount, their lawlessness, they're living for themselves, they're not living for God. So we can't accept it all, sorry, we can't dismiss it all, but we can't simply accept it all either. False disciples live for themselves, true disciples live for Jesus. Let's, let's try and tie things up a little bit then. Why does Jesus teach us these things at this stage in his Sermon on the Mount? He teaches us, teaches us these things uh, because false disciples can do great damage. Um, they can confuse, they can weaken, they can destabilize a church. Jesus is teaching here that not everyone who says the right things or does powerful works is necessarily a disciple. Of course, we want the right beliefs. We want to get our theology straight. We're gospel-centered, right? And of course, we want uh, powerful gifts from the Holy Spirit. We're spirit-empowered. Amen. We want these things. And yet we need wisdom. That's what Jesus is teaching us. We need wisdom and discernment. I think sometimes we put too much uh, weight behind gifts, you know, and gifted people and people with abilities. We put too much behind that. Instead, we, we, we can sometimes miss what can be a deeper and more dangerous lack of a discipleship if we prioritize and only look at someone's gifting. Jesus was saying, we saw this last week, beware of the false prophets, he says. They're like sheep, they're, they're dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. It can be hugely damaging. How can we tell, just final, finally then as we come in, how can we tell in, in any situation whether we're dealing with a false or a true disciple? Um, uh, it's, not, it's not easy and I don't think we're required to make some sort of eternal pronouncement. We're not. Only God knows the heart, right? But, but he gives us a steer. He gives us wisdom. Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says these things will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. The true disciple, says Jesus, across the board, 
is the one who does the will of the Father. Let's be a bit more specific. Um, We've been reading and studying together the Sermon on the Mount, and we can look at that and understand what it is required to do the will of the Father. So does a person who claims and acts as if they are Christian, do they, do they live out the values and virtues that we see here in the Sermon on the Mount? For example, are they humble? Do they exercise humility? You know, Matthew 7, removing the log in their own eyes before helping deal with the speck in someone else's. Are they humble? Do they treat others the way that they would want to be treated? Putting others first, Matthew 7. Are they peacemakers? The Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or are they interested in pursuing their own goals? These are just some suggestions of what it is to do the will of the Father. Likewise, Jesus says, you'll tell a tree by its fruit. Is it good fruit? Is it producing strength and blessing and encouragement within the church? These are all uh, things that we can look at. Is this person doing the will of my Father? who is in heaven. Not perfectly, you know, we're, we're all striving for, 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 to improve and to get better. We assume the best, but we are aware of the possibility. It's a very short passage, but I think if we listen carefully, it's, it's very important for us. It's very important for you as you're listening to this. Um, and, I, and I count myself in this too. It's very important that we ourselves are not self-deceived Let's not allow ourselves away with thinking that just because we say the right words and we can act in a certain way does not mean that we've had necessarily the spiritual birth that Jesus talks about. I think it's important not only when we look at ourselves, it's important as we've been thinking when we look at one another in our life together. Jesus is saying as we've been thinking, we have to be wise, we have to be discerning. Yes, loving, yes, gracious, but room in our minds that it's possible to have these things that Jesus talks about and yet not be a true disciple. Selves one another in, in life together. Thirdly and finally, it's important that we understand these verses for the world outside that we're seeking to reach. Uh, we want to represent Jesus to those who don't know him. That's our mission. And we want to do that as true disciples. We want to genuinely model the right words, powerful works, so that Jesus gets the glory and the church advances the gospel. Let's pray.